everyone, and welcome to The Zeitgeist, the show where we highlight the founders, developers, and designers who are pushing the Web3 space forward. I'm Brian Friel, developer relations at Phantom. I'm super excited to introduce my guest, Ruder. Ruder is the founder of Solend, the largest decentralized lending protocol on Solana. Ruder, welcome to the show. Hey, thank you, and thanks for having me. You know, I think everyone on crypto Twitter will recognize you by your iconic profile picture. It looks to me like a aardvark that has shedding a single tear. Can you give a little background on what is that animal in your profile pic and how you came to rock that as your PFP? Yeah, so it's actually Pequenino, which is a fictional species from a book called Speaker for the Dead, which is part of uh, Ender's Game series. Oh, I love it. Basically, I was looking for a profile picture, and this is one of my favorite sci-fi books. So I found like a frame in a comic and thought it was kind of unique to have the character crying. And so I took that frame and ended up getting a custom artist piece made. That's an awesome backstory. I've even seen some derivative pieces of that made now that you're a judge on uh, the latest Solana hackathon. That's become a very iconic image in Solana lore. Yes, it's kind of funny. <laughs> For folks who maybe aren't on crypto Twitter, would you mind giving us a little background on who you are and how you became to be founding Solent? Yeah, sure. So my background is in software engineering. Basically, I've been working as a software engineer for multiple years. Been doing smart contract development for a few years as well. Started off in the Ethereum space. Did a startup in the past, which ended up getting acquired. And basically last year, I was looking at you know what to do next in crypto. And it was very clear that building something on a scalable version of Ethereum was the way to go because it would cost hundreds of dollars to do certain operations, which would add up to thousands very quickly. And basically at the time, Solana was one of the only alternative blockchains that provided good scalability and was actually live since a lot of what was out there was just not live yet. And how did you settle on a, a decentralized lending protocol in particular? I was always quite fascinated by lending protocols. I read the Compound white paper when it first came out and was super excited about it. When it first launched, I was a user. And yeah, I always felt like there was something missing in the lending space, namely that not enough assets were supported. During DeFi summer, there were all these different altcoins launching like Yam and Pasta Coin and whatnot. And one thing I really wish I could do was short a lot of them, or at least like farm and hedge the risk. But there were no lending markets that wanted to list these coins because they're too risky and it imposes risk on the rest of the protocol. So I really felt isolated lending protocol was needed, which eventually came in the form of Rari launched Fuse. But yeah, it was always like really want to see this in the market. The opportunity that Solana presented was perfect since basically Solana was a fast-growing blockchain and the ecosystem was rapidly coming together and there was not yet any leader in lending. So it just made sense that someone would need to lead that space and you know why not be us? When did you guys settle on Solana as the chain that you were going to build on? At the very start, I just want to learn about like different technologies. So I was looking out for Optimism, which hadn't launched yet. Polygon was live, aka Matic, and I had dabbled around with that a bit. But basically, yeah, I want to mess around with Solana a little bit, like see what the developer experience was like. And it turned out to be pretty good, which I guess some people might be surprised to hear. But, you know, it wasn't like terrible, terrible. And we built the first version of Solana, a prototype, during the Solana season hackathon. And 
we saw from that experience how powerful it could be and that there's a lot of potential. So, you know, after that, like kind of learning experience, we decided to double down on it. That's great. And so you guys essentially went from hackathon project today, one of the largest DeFi protocols on Solana, the largest lending protocol. You guys are facilitating hundreds of millions of dollars in loans every day. Walk us through that journey. What do you attribute that success to? And, and how big is the Solon team? You know, you guys started, I assume, mostly just you in a hackathon project. What What's that journey like? Yeah, so in the start for the hackathon, it was about four of us, I think. And then we became five for launching the mainnet, stayed around that size for a couple months. And more recently, we started growing. So we're up to nine people now, mainly engineers still. And as for like what I would attribute the success to, I would say a lot of our success was on this pivotal moment, which was when we launched our liquidity mining program and our token. That's when we saw a really huge spike in deposits. Basically, I think it was timed well and you know, liquidity mining is just a really great way to bootstrap liquidity, which in lending, you need that liquidity for it to be useful. Because if there's only, you know, a couple hundred thousand dollars of liquidity in assets, a lot of users just, it's not useful to use it. And if you're doing any kind of size, you would be moving the rates too much. Like if you borrow, the rates would spike due to the algorithmic nature of it. So I'd say that was definitely a pivotal moment since when we launched it, we I think we had like $200 million in deposits. And basically in one or two days, we jumped up to $2 billion. So that was quite a wild day for us. But beyond that, I think before that, there was a lot of anticipation to our token launch and our liquidity mining, because I think we just did a good job with our branding and our UI. To this day, I think we have the simplest UI for a lending protocol. That's the most easy to use and just straightforward. And of course, you know, coming from myself, take it with a grain of salt, but I actually really do believe that. And we spent a lot of time going back and forth with a designer who is really, really talented and coming up with this design that we felt was improving upon existing models. We tried to, you know, kind of design it from the ground up, especially having used these products a lot. Like what are the pain points and what do we want to improve on? It sounds like you guys took a lot of your learnings too from DeFi Summer, as you mentioned, that being a inspiration for you guys and how Compound's Comp Token really kicked off that whole scene. Definitely agree that a well-timed liquidity mining event can really spur some pretty crazy liquidity in a bull market here. And actually, I would add another thing, which is that we've built up this reputation of doing what's right by our users. So multiple times there have been issues, whether it's Oracle issues where wrong prices are printed, and then there are some wrongful liquidations that happen. Or at some other occasion, the Solana network went down for quite a long time, which meant that some people couldn't pay back their loans when they wanted to. And as a result, they got liquidated. So we refunded people for all of these issues. And also there was like a vulnerability disclosure from Neodyme at one point, And we worked with them to get them a million dollar bug bounty payout. So... No users have ever like you know lost money due to anything that's like out of their control really on Solend. And I think that goes a long way as well. Yeah, I think that's a great segue into what I want to talk about next. I think a lot of folks maybe aren't users of Solend might have heard Solend for the first time back in June. This is around when much of the crypto market was experiencing cascading liquidations. Sol was trading around $25, $26. Today at the time of this recording in July, just a month later, it's back up to $40. 
Around this time, there was a pretty big whale on Solent who was at risk of liquidation. And Solent uh, initiated its first three governance proposals all in rapid succession. Could you walk us through what events were going on at that time in your own world words and what how the situation was affecting Solent? Yeah, so I'll rewind a little bit. So basically, we first noticed this whale's activity back in February when they deposited around $200 million worth of Solana at a time when we had around $2 billion, or maybe it was closer to $1 billion actually. But basically, they were a very large position, but it wasn't anything super crazy. And also, they weren't borrowing anything at the start. And basically, what happened is over time, they started borrowing USD against their sole position until it got to a point where they were borrowing $100 million. At the time, it was almost 90% of the USDC borrows in the main pool. And their sole deposits were 95% of the deposits in the main pool. So over time, they gradually became an extremely large user on our platform. So when we saw this, we tried to contact them. So we did a couple of things. First, we went through our own private networks, asked investors, hey, is this you or do you know who this is? Didn't get any success there. Next thing we tried was sending an on-chain message and posting on Twitter, kind of public announcement like, hey, is this anyone out there? Please reduce your position. I remember seeing some of your tweets saying, we're trying to reach you about your car's extended warranty <laughs> jokes. <laughs> yeah, definitely tried to use some humor to make it go more viral so that we could have a better chance of getting in contact with them. Yeah, I mean, the issue is that they're borrowing so much that their liquidation price was $22.30. And Seoul was trading at $26 and had just come down from you know $100 just like uh, a month ago or something. And, you know, if it continued to go down, as was the trend, what we were worried about is that they would get liquidated, which would cause such a massive amount of soul to come onto the market in a sudden way that we were really concerned about the side effects of that. So specifically on Solend, generally the way that liquidations work is there are bots that will liquidate someone and sell the assets on chain in one transaction. And basically, if that like transaction is not profitable, they're just not going to do it. If it is, then they will. And typically, this is fine because Solan has partial liquidations of 20%. So only up to 20% of your position can get liquidated. And usually, positions are relatively small. So it gets handled with ease. But this would be an unprecedented size of liquidation, where basically around $120 million would become liquidatable in around $21 million chunks, which, you know, if you try to market sell $20 million, especially on DEXs on Solana, you're just going to crush the market. Yeah, there's no liquidity to support that. Yeah, exactly. If you try to sell $1 to $2 million, there would be like 5% slippage. So at 20, there's just, you know, no liquidity, you'd tank it by maybe 50%. And doing this over and over again would cause a lot of issues. And couple of things there. One, it's a super lucrative liquidation transaction that boss will be incentivized to spam so much to, to try to win, right? And two, it would create a very large arbitrage opportunity on the DEXs for people to arb between other venues. And both these combined would cause such incentive for a lot of bot activity that we were worried that it would potentially overload the Solana network since... At the time, Solana was experiencing a lot of network issues 
Transactions would fail. Yeah, this is the pre 1.10 release. Yeah, it's gotten so much better since then, thankfully. Yeah, was there any risk at this time to say just your average depositor in Solend, you know, I have a couple hundred USDC, I just want to deposit in Solend for a yield. Was I at risk here based on this mega whales actions or failure to respond? So usually other users are not at risk, but given the size of this user, and the fact that they could move the market with their liquidation, then other users were at risk because what could potentially happen is the Solana network could go down. And in the worst case, it would go down for a couple hours. And in the worst case, the price of Sol would also continue to drop. And so liquidations would not be able to occur. Or even if they did, they wouldn't potentially wouldn't be able to happen fast enough, which would leave bad debt on the platform. Basically, when the collateral is not worth enough to cover the loan, then there's a mismatch in liabilities. And that would mean basically that some users who withdraw last would not be able to withdraw. And Solen has an insurance fund to repay these kinds of uh, bad debts. But there's a chance that our insurance fund of $20 million would get depleted. And on top of that, users would lose a bunch of money. So basically, we, what we were looking at is do something about it and you know, avoid gambling for the outcome where users would lose maybe $100 million and Solan's treasury gets depleted and basically spells the end for Solan potentially or do nothing and, you know, hope that for the best. So, you know, we're being proactive and we looked at the situation and, and felt that it would make sense to do something about it. And the solution that we came to was basically a very large market sale is extremely hard to do on chain, but it's a lot more like routine to do so OTC. So we made a governance proposal of this, Solend One, and basically the proposal was to liquidate these assets OTC over the counter to minimize slippage, get better execution, etc., like minimize impact to the market rather than doing so on chain. And um, yeah, there was a lot of. Uh, controversy around that. Yeah. And I just want to set the stage here a little bit, because I think this is a really fascinating case study for everyone who's interested in decentralized governance. You know, I've been in the space for a couple of years now. I, I can't remember maybe thinking back to March 2020, but even then having governance issues that were so important, you know, Solon being the lifeblood of the lending ecosystem on Solana, this being, like you said, a potential existential question, but then also the fact that it's time sensitive. Can you just recap real quick? how long you guys had from essentially finding out that, you know, this was an issue to turning out your first governance proposal? Yeah, so I think we first noticed this on June 15th. And we a couple of tweets, like trying to get in contact 16th and around that. And then, yeah, it was a couple of days later that this proposal happened. And basically, we were looking at the soul charts and it's a very volatile asset, right? It actually dipped to $25 and I think in the high 25s for some time, which meant that only a around a 15% drop would cause liquidations to happen. And, you know, doomsday scenario could happen. And, you know, for Seoul, which dropped like 80% in a very short period of time, like, uh, you know, a little 15% dip is not unfathomable, right? So walk us through some of the strategies here. You know, you mentioned the first governance proposal involved uh, taking control of the user's account uh, in the event of a liquidation to handle this over OTC. The thinking being that OTC desks can provide better rates, 
then the liquidity that's available kind of latently on decentralized exchanges, there'd be less impact on users. Walk us through that proposal and then some of the subsequent proposals that follow. Yeah, so that was essentially the proposal is to temporarily move the assets such that they can get liquidated over the counter and then move them back into the user's account. You know, one common misconception is like people thought that we were taking their funds or like stealing them or what whatnot, which is definitely not the case. Basically, they were just to get liquidated. And that money is still their own money. It's just would be converted from Seoul to USDC with the best execution that we could find, better than what would be on, on DEXs. Of course, there's a lot of uh, controversy around the, the method uh, of doing that. Following that, there's a, a ton of controversy. And thankfully, actually, the price of Seoul started to recover, which bought us some time. And reevaluating the situation, we thought, okay, now that we have more time, we can consider some you know, other options potentially. So we made a second proposal, which rolled back the first one. We were listening to our community and the general community at large of crypto. And yeah, it was definitely unpopular. Although one interesting fact actually is um, it was definitely very controversial in the general sphere. But for our users that had money stuck in the platform and who you know, were just waiting for a train to come and hit them, they really wanted us to do something about it. And we would get a lot of messages like, you know, F the haters, just do something you know, don't listen to them. Like, don't, you know, just try to appease a bunch of people on, on Twitter to and, and like, let, let us lose our money. And these are messages on, on Realms, the voting platform. Is that right? Realms and in our Discord. Yeah, just talking to users directly. Because one additional piece that I, I forgot to mention earlier was that due to the utilization of the pool being so high, because all of the USDC in the platform was borrowed out, that meant that People couldn't withdraw their USDC anymore because basically the funds are, are not like within the platform. They're not available, right? Yeah. So users were stuck in their position. They they were frozen in and they couldn't exit. So that yeah, that was an additional thing that was exacerbating. The whale was causing real problems. It wasn't just like potential. The borrow rates must have been crazy then. Yeah, I think USDC was at like 60% APR and USDT went up to like 200 something. Wow. Yeah, it was quite crazy. Some people were, you know, happy to to collect that interest, but definitely I think most people were kind of sweating a little bit. Yeah, understandably so. Okay, so you guys went through, you know, you mentioned that the first proposal was around the OTC liquidations and the event it came to that. Luckily, you know, it didn't come to that. The price rebounded. Then you guys initiated a second proposal, which essentially gave your team more time to reevaluate, introduced a minimum one day voting period, and then uh, you guys also launched a third proposal, which passed. Can you walk us through a little bit about what that third proposal entailed? Yeah, so the third proposal basically implemented new liquidation rules for extremely large accounts. So basically, it capped the borrows of any account to $50 million. It would start off the cap at $120 million and gradually decrease it by around 500000 per hour. Two things there. like One is we don't want any single user to be a systemic risk to the platform. And so there should be some sort of cap. And I think this makes sense and there's precedent for it. Like if you go to a bank and you ask for 100x leverage on, on a trade, or you know, if you go to a crypto exchange like FTX or Binance, for a very long time, you could do 100x leverage if you had like say $100 in your account. And it's just a gamble, it's, it's a lottery ticket or whatever. But if you go to them and you have 
a hundred million dollars and you tell them, I want to get a hundred X leverage, they're going to tell you no, right? Like they're not just going to give anybody, you know, that crazy amount of leverage. So you have to consider size. So in, in the same way here, we don't want uh, extremely large users until, you know, the, the platform can absorb it. So, you know, as Solan grows, we can increase these caps. And then the second part was this gradual reduction. Basically, the intent there was to spread out the liquidation over time so that we don't get a sudden $20 million sale that could cause chaos. We have them in much smaller chunks such that the liquidations could get absorbed. So if you sell a little bit on the DEX, it'll cause some slippage, but not a crazy amount. And then it can get armed with centralized exchanges and other parties. And yeah, happen over the course of a couple of days rather than just like a couple hours or, or less. So this third proposal passed as well. This was the latest proposal. You know, thankfully, in hindsight, none of this actually had to come to the test. You know, Seoul rebounded. I assume the whale has is no longer in imminent risk of liquidation. But I'm curious because, you know, you mentioned throughout this, one of your guiding principles is doing right by your users. You know, you guys have done a number of different initiatives outside of that to prove that. And then you also mentioned your users were among the most vocal asking for you guys to take action here. I'm curious, where does governance come into play? What What is a good time for uh, enacting governance as a, as a protocol founder? What decisions can you guys make as a team? What times do you actually need to bring in the community vote in situations like these? One last thing to wrap up the, the whale thing. In the end, we actually were able to get in contact with them. Basically, they, they heard the news and someone had reached out to the Binance team or we had, we had reached out to some people who helped us get in touch with the Binance team who then forwarded our message along to the whale. And yeah, shortly after proposing Solan3, we got in contact and talked about some mitigation strategies. So in the end, they reduced their position on Solan and yeah, the price of Sol rebounded, as you mentioned. And so, yeah, we were in the clear after that. So moving on to the question about decentralization, basically my thinking there is that it's better to build something worth decentralizing than to decentralize nothing. And it takes time to get to that point where you have something valuable that's worth decentralizing. And my thinking basically is if you're fully decentralized from day one, it makes things extremely hard. I don't know if you've participated in many DAOs, but if you have, you would know how extremely inefficient they can be and how oftentimes there's a lot of a, this bystander effect where people do nothing, just stand around waiting for others to do something. So I believe that there needs to be some like spearheading entity that gets things done and then gets it to a point where it can be decentralized to the community and governed by the community later on. But the whole like startup maze of discovery and pivoting to find product market fit and reacting to changing market uh, environments, that's very hard to navigate as a DAO. And yeah, I, I just really believe in this idea that's, I don't remember who put it out at the beginning, but this idea of decentralization over time. And, you know, we're embracing that. We are working on a decentralization roadmap, which we're gonna release soon. And basically it'll outline what are those milestones on the way to decentralization and like, what are the steps that we're gonna take? Because I mean, even Bitcoin wasn't decentralized on day one, right? At the beginning, most of the hash power was owned by Satoshi and you know his associates and whatnot, his friends. And yeah, it took a while for the hash power to be, as we would call it, sufficiently decentralized. Yeah. Is there anything that you would do differently looking back on this whole situation? That's a very tough question. Looking back in the situation that we were at, we were 
in between a rock and a hard place. And we were faced with a real life trolley problem where one option is we gamble with our users' funds and potentially let them lose hundred million dollars and you know end the life of Solend. And the other is doing something controversial that doesn't sit well with a, a lot of people. I think, yeah, it was very tough and definitely hope to never have to make this kind of decision again. But I, I think what we would do is we would always put our users first. I think, you know, having users lose money is the worst thing that could happen. So we would do everything we can to to prevent that from happening. Yeah, I commend you for your composure in responding to that situation. I know it's a lot of, a lot of people like to chirp on Twitter, but, uh, you know, I think a lot of people who are both working in Web3 or founders of projects kind of know what it's like to be in the arena there and uh, definitely uh, don't envy your position, but also I think it's great that you guys have that principle of doing right by your users. Yeah, that was definitely tough. There was a lot of criticism directed directly at us as well. And the frustrating thing was none of these people were users. None of them had ever touched the lens, maybe never even touched Solana, uh, but they were just criticizing from the sidelines. And a lot of them had something to gain, sort of, like maybe they were maxis for Ethereum or or they, uh, you know, had a platform where controversy and engagement, you know, drives metrics for them. So, yeah, it's ugly reality of things. Yeah. One, one last point on this, you know, for any founders who are thinking about starting their own project in Web3 generally, maybe listening to this podcast, is there anything you would tell them? about governance as a whole or what, what you've learned so far in your time at Solon? It definitely helps to be proactive and to set things up and discuss things with people as early as possible. But at the same time, I think if you're if you're just starting out a project, I wouldn't suggest to like spin up a DAO immediately, um, unless it's like a, a DAO specific project, like, you know, X DAO or whatever, like Noodles DAO or, or some, some kind of fan club. But if you're if you're working on a startup, which happens to be, you know, crypto powered, I would definitely suggest to figure out your place in the market first, figure out some product market fit before, uh, you know, spending too much time decentralizing. Because if you spend all of your time and effort on the uh, DAO piece and your startup ends up failing because it can't find product market fit, then, you know, what's the point? So yeah, that would be my advice. Well said. I want to switch gears here. I know we've been talking a lot about your guys's plans for decentralization over time. I think that's really exciting. You guys also have a number of other product launches, though, related to Solend. Recently, you guys announced the launch of your Isolated Pools product. Can you give us a quick overview of, of what these Isolated Pools are? Um, I know Stepin has been a big example here. Can you can you walk us through how an end user might interact with some of these pools? Yeah. So an Isolated Pool is basically a separate pool of assets that can be cross-lent and borrowed. And this is in contrast to the main pool that we have on Solend, which was the first one that we launched with. And every time we list an asset, it would go into that main pool. But the problem with that is if you list an asset with low liquidity, that is therefore more easily manipulatable, it opens up the entire pool to attack, not just that asset. Because uh, to take one simple example, let's say there's some, some token and an attacker was able to manipulate the price such that oracles believe that it's a million dollars a coin, then a user could deposit some of these tokens and borrow like millions of dollars worth of assets against it, millions of dollars worth of USDC, SOL, etc. And then just let the price fall back down to say pennies and just walk away with the debt, not intending to ever repay it. So 
basically, you have to be very careful about which assets you list. And everything in the main pool has to be of extremely high quality and not manipulable and not just mintable willy-nilly. If someone could just print an infinite amount and deposit and borrow against it, that's also a, a big issue that we want to avoid. So what isolated pools does is we can set up these separate pools that we can then list riskier assets. And if there is an issue, it would be isolated to that pool. So we're not saying there's not going to be any issues ever. Potentially at some point there would be issues, but users are opting into that kind of risk when they enter into an isolated pool. And so, yeah, some of the interesting things that we've done with these in the past is one uh, is called the Turbo Soul Pool. So it's a pool with only Soul and USDC in it. And basically, since we have only these two really high quality assets, we're able to increase the loan to value ratios for these assets. So rather than being 75%, so you can only borrow 75% of the value against your collateral, here you can borrow 95%, which lets you get 10x leverage. So that's a pretty interesting use case since if you only want to leverage trade Sol versus USDC, then you're you're better off using the Turbo Sol pool where you can get higher leverage or you can just have a lower liquidation price. And then the other side is listing long tail assets. So one very interesting one, as you mentioned, was a step-in pool. So yeah, we have this pool where there's GST, which is the token that you earn from walking, and GMT, which is the step-in like governance project token. And this has been an extremely popular one where it was growing a lot. Like the number of users in this isolate pool was our fastest growing for some time. And it opened up some interesting use cases, which showcases the, the power of DeFi and composability. So basically, step in, just launch their token. They don't have anything to do with lending markets or whatnot, but we are able to just launch that permissionlessly and provide a product for users to use to do a couple of things. So one is they can hedge their entry to Stepin. So rather than paying $500 for a pair of shoes to start walking, you can borrow a bunch of GMT or GST and sell it to US dollars and then buy the shoe with that. And what that does is if Stepin as a whole doesn't do well for whatever reason and the price of its shoes go down, Probably the price of GST and GMT is going to go down as well. So you end up like kind of saving that money since you, you didn't like make such a big upfront investment. So you can, yeah, you can hedge your entry costs. Uh, and, and another interesting thing you can do is you can borrow GST to level up your shoes and pay it off later. So it's kind of like level up now, pay later, you know, like buy now, pay later. Yeah, buy now, pay later, but for Stefan. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's awesome. How have you guys seen? this DeFi component fitting in with the general onboarding funnel for something like Stepin. You know, I think Stepin's fairly unique. It, it brought in maybe a lot of users who weren't familiar with crypto for the first time. Do you see this as something that's more of an advanced feature today? Or, you know, could this potentially in its own way be a bit of like a gateway drug to onboarding on the DeFi directly, getting new users who might not have ever had a wallet before to open up wallet and deposit in, in Solan because of the yields that they see? Yeah, it's definitely a more advanced feature. Users that use this have to be aware of their liquidation risk and they have to manage that, which is, you know, pretty tricky and you know, ideally would understand how markets work, like what's an order book, just those basics. I think a lot of people in crypto take it for granted because they've been just breathing it, eating it for breakfast every day for so long, but it, it does take some time to learn these concepts. The one kind of beginner 
feature is you could just deposit your GST or GMT and lend it out for yield. That's pretty simple. It you know it's good to understand the risks involved as well, but it, that's a much simpler product than you know borrowing against and managing liquidation. And by the way, like the interest rates on GST and GMT were historically extremely high, like something like five hundred percent APY, which made it very exciting. And that definitely brought on a lot of people, which a lot of them were beginners to DeFi, hadn't really used crypto products much, but were attracted by those very high yields, especially those that were holding GST anyway, because maybe they were saving up for next big purchase and why not earn 500% APY per year? Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. 500% though, I think that starts to, maybe some folks who aren't familiar with crypto, that starts to ring a too good to be true. But for those who are around in, in DeFi summer, that's... uh small fry numbers. So, you know, I think a natural extension of this concept of an isolated pool gets at something that you guys have hinted a little bit called permissionless pools. Is there anything that you guys can share about this? As I mentioned a while ago when I was using lending protocols and in DeFi summer, there are a bunch of things that I wish there were lending markets for. I really wish that I could just list my own, but it's a lot of work to start a whole you know, lending protocol and get usage and get network effects and whatnot. Yeah, as you mentioned, the, the natural next step from isolated pools is allowing anyone to list their own. And this has been something that I've wanted to get to for a very long time. And so it's very cool to finally be seeing this come to fruition. So basically, quite soon, maybe by the time this pod airs, yeah, we're launching permissionless pools, which anyone can list whatever asset they want. So I think it's, it's quite a powerful concept since um, on day one that a, an asset list gets launched, uh, you can have a lending market for it. So you can short anything on day one, you can leverage long anything on day one, you can use anything as collateral for a loan on day one, all powered by the community. and Going back to isolated pools, we've been launching one isolated pool about once a week. But even then, we only have uh, right now we have like 40 something assets and around like 16 different isolated pools. But it's going to take us forever to list everything in the Solana ecosystem, right? There's thousands of tokens. And at this rate of once a week, even though that's a pretty decent rate, we're, we're just never going to get to everything. And I guess like borrowing some lessons from Uniswap. They have permissionless listings, and it made it such that they could list everything under the sun without having to spend any engineering time on it. And in contrast to that, centralized exchanges like Binance or Coinbase, they have to spend maybe a week of engineering time to set everything up, especially if they have like legacy systems that are not designed from the start to be rapid listing machines. Like Coinbase, for example, as it started, it was only for buying Bitcoin, and then they added Ethereum later on. And then now there's like hundreds of assets, but it, it took a really long time to, to get there. And it takes up yeah a lot of uh, engineering time. So in this way, we're able to provide a market for everything on Solana. And we're removing ourselves as a gatekeeper and as a blocker for, for having these markets. That's really cool to hear. I do think that is one of the main selling points of a decentralized protocol like this is just capturing the long tail of all assets in a really efficient way. I think this dovetails pretty nicely, too, with what you mentioned, with this uh, hint at what your guys' plans are for decentralizing long term. I guess looking ahead, what are you most excited to build with Solend? What do you envision is the end state for how Solend fits into the broader Solana ecosystem? One of the big parts that we're encouraging is developer usage. So Solend at the end of the day is a platform. We have C tokens that make it extremely easy to integrate with. 
C tokens are just like any other SPL token that represent your deposits. And basically, we want Solan to be pretty deeply integrated into the ecosystem and be used across various different use cases. Yeah, lending is a core primitive of DeFi, and it's a building block that should you know be used as, as much as possible. So uh, yeah, I really see ourselves as a, kind of at the base layer of Solana as a primitive that's used in many different uh, other products. That's awesome. Well, I, I think you guys are definitely well on your way to being there. Ritter, this is a great discussion. Thanks for your time. One last question we asked to all our guests. Who is a builder that you admire in the Solana ecosystem? I really admire the Orca team. So Utaro and Grace uh, kind of inspired me to build Solend right at the beginning because I, I knew Utaro from the Ethereum days and I knew he was a very talented dev. And so seeing him jump into Solana was definitely like a factor for me to take a second look at it. So yeah, if you haven't already had them, I would definitely recommend them. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. Uh, we had Orion for, I believe, our third episode that we launched. Yeah, they they do a really great job of setting the, the UX bar very high uh, in crypto, especially when it comes to DeFi projects, as you guys do as well. Well, Ritter, this is great. Thanks so much for your time. Where can people go to learn more about you and to learn more about Solent? So for myself, you can follow me on Twitter. I'm at ZeroXRooter, most active there. For Solend, Solend.Fi is the website and Solend Protocol on Twitter, where you can find all of our updates. And from there, you can find all the links to everything else, like our documentation and whatnot, developer portal and whatnot. Perfect. Thank you, Ritter. Thank you. 